Good evening, everyone. This is Laurel Hightower. I am joined tonight by my co-hosts, Shane Douglas Keene and Rich Duncan. And tonight we are lucky to have Haley Piper on the show with us. Haley, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. How are you, Laurel? I'm doing great. Haley, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So we'll, I, I'll, I will try to keep my fangirling to a minimum, you know, because... <laughs> Uh, that's gonna be hard, huh? <laughs> it really is. Cause it's, uh, I mean, I, you know, started with um, the possession of Natalie Glasgow or T Pong, as we now affectionately call it. Yes, I um, love the nickname you've yeah. given it. Much <laughs> <laughs> easier to, to to type, you know, and it's so sort of cheerful. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I I just you know, from the minute I started that book, it, I was just totally blown away. So I was really excited to see that Vinnie Rose was coming out and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but I guess, I guess usually before I get away from myself on that, we, Rich, don't we usually do like a, like a first day at school kind of thing? Like yeah. introduce yourself to the class? Okay. Yeah. I so if you just want to let us know, you know, give us, a, give us a little bit of a rundown on, on you and your writing and, Oh, that okay. kind of thing. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm I'm Haley Piper. I um, let's see, what have I written? Um, <laughs> the well, my debut novella is the Possession of Natalie Glasgow, as Laurel mentioned. Um, let's see, I've written I don't know how many short stories. Um, I've had them in Daily Science Fiction and The Arcanist, um, Bronzeville Bee. Bath Met Literary Scene, uh, Planet Scum. I, there's a there's a few, and um, re- most recently, uh, Unnerving's Unnerving starred their Rewind or Die uh, series, with, and uh, the third book of that is my newest novella, Benny Rose the Cannibal King. Um, and what was the deal? That's something I was going to ask about the Rewind or Die series. Was that a was was there a open call for that, or was that an invitation call? Um, so, so at the end of May, I believe in 2019, um, an open call went out from Unnerving uh, to start with just uh, women horror writers um, for the first to to launch pitches to the editor. And uh, after that would open up to everyone in September as an open call. But um, so I sent my pitch at the end of May. I, I'm sorry, I should have written these dates down before starting. Um, yeah, so I sent my pitch at the end of May. Um, uh, they liked it, and I started working on the book. Uh, and and we're all very lucky that you did. It's a damn good book. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was thinking kind of along the same lines as Shane with uh, that question, because like um, we talked a little bit about it, like the series as a whole on some of our other episodes and like how it is kind of like emulating that feeling of like 70s, 80s and 90s, like, you know, video store type horror. And I was just curious you know, your experiences with that, like, what about that theme, like, um, appealed to you? Um, and 
were were you always kind of like interested in that sort of stuff? Because I know I was like going to the video store and just like grabbing stuff based off of like a cool cover, you know, synopsis or what have you. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, We had two video stores in the town where I grew up. Um, We had Video Mania and the Boob Tube. And uh, whichever one we went into, I would immediately gravitate towards any like sci-fi or horror or anything like anything that had monsters in it, especially or if it had a monster on the cover. And most of it I wasn't allowed to rent. But I would sift through all of them anyway and read what I could off the back. And it was just that was it was always so much fun um, to get to get to go do that, even if I couldn't see the movies just yet. Um, did you get to, though? I mean, did you did you like make a list? And as soon as you were able to go, just like, rent no, all of them? no, I didn't. But I did see I eventually I did get old enough to see different ones. I remember. And sometimes I saw ones, I started to see ones, and then my parents would turn it off at a certain point um, (laughs) because something was about to happen. And I was always thinking, like, well, the monster couldn't have, like, suddenly come up and killed them that bad, so what's the problem? And then later I'd watch the movie, and it's like, oh, it was going to turn into a sex scene. Um, (laughs) I don't know how they knew that with movies they hadn't seen before, but somehow that, like, clicked in their heads, like, this is about to go in a not-okay-for-a-seven-year-old direction. Um, and i know one 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 weekend we rented multiple movies and i was like i think i was eight or nine and it was not stuff i probably should have watched it that uses 70s invasion of the body snatchers the 50s night of living dead and the um and carnosaur um i i came out of it okay (laughs) (laughs) That's actually, I mean, that's a conversation we've had some because I feel like it's yeah. it's pretty common. I think all three of us, like none of our parents really put a limit on what we watched and, you know, but I've got like a toddler now and I'm like, huh, I wonder if that was the way to do it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we all turned out okay, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I had the same dilemma with my kids, you know, and that I was given free reign to watch what I wanted to watch. And really, like Haley says, I mean, in our own fucked up ways, we all turned out OK. And in the long run, that's what I did with my kids, too. If they, if they were old enough, they could handle watching it. They could watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I think each parent has to gauge it by their kids. Nobody's the same. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And uh, you'd said something kind of interesting, like um, I know it was more like they would shut it off at like the sex scene parts you'd come to find out later. But I was wondering, you know, watching those movies, like watching them like that, where they would like shut it off at a certain point or something. Did you ever kind of like come up with the rest of the story like on your own? Like think um, about it after? I... I'm not sure I did that particularly, but I know that uh, in that in the instance I'm thinking of, the creature on the box cover art had not shown up yet, so I was I was thinking about when was it going to happen, and yeah, I mean you know when you're a kid watching those movies, that's kind of what you're waiting for a lot of the time. Yeah. And um, yeah, I I suppose I did, but it's not it's not something that was like a concrete storyline. It was kind of just like maybe this scenario would happen. 
Yeah. Yeah, I was just kind of curious about it because, like, I I never really did that because, like, my dad he uh, he would let me watch pretty much whatever, and <laughs> you know sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. Like, I don't know why, but for some reason, like uh, Candyman especially, like I had heard bits about it, and then I rented it because he was like, yeah, you can rent it, but I was too chicken to watch it, so it kind of just sat on the table for like a week, and then he took it back to the store. <laughs> <laughs> I forget that's how just, old I was. And that's some really good judgment right there, actually. That's probably. <laughs> yeah. like that's that a pretty good. gory one. It is, yeah. Oh, yeah, I watched it recently, and actually, yeah, there's a lot of really awful oh, parts. Yeah. It's very, um, and it's, it's weird because, like, if you watch that one versus like something from the eighties, the, the, the way they do the gore is a little different for a nineties movie than an eighties movie. And it, I don't know, there's something that's like wetter about it in the nineties. I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah, it does. It makes total sense. Um, and that was like exemplary of Clive Barker's work. Really? I mean, that's that true. It, it was it was kind of the kind of the epitome of splatter punk in its own way as far as film goes. Yeah. Well, and the yeah. legends there in it too. That's I mean, it, it, you know, the way that it was built up in in the in that community and everything. And and I love that. I love the, I love that there's a mythos to a person. And that, you know, speaking of uh, legends, um, <laughs> did, did it take you a long time to work out your legend that you embraced in Benny Rose, the Cannibal King? Benny Rose had a really strange genesis because um, I had started with a very different because I, I had started with one idea for him and this was this was before the rewinder die call came went out it was kind of just like i had kind of a, a hazy idea of a thing and then i had a different idea for it and a different idea for it and it just had all these different faces and when it came time to finally just be like what's benny rose going to be i was just like he's all of them he's all these things all the kids tell different stories um so in a way, I kind of think it was taking the easy way out to form the legend of Benny Rose, um, just because there was no real agreed upon canon between the kids, because every single one of them in Blackwood would twist it a little bit their own way. And by the, and it's like playing telephone with a story. By the time you've gone through 10 kids, you've got a completely different like serial killer. Yeah, I I don't think it was the easy way. That was one of the things I had uh, written down was that that was like one of my favorite parts of the book was the fact that, you know, he was kind of like an amalgamation of all these different urban legends. And he didn't really have like a uh, like a fixed origin. You know, he kind of does to a degree. But then, like you said, the rumors that the kids you know, say over the years kind of makes him a little bit more than that. Yeah, I um, I guess I guess it just 
maybe not easy is the best word, but maybe like once once the idea of the oh it's all of them, it just all clicked together. Like it's just like oh yeah. that's what it was always going to be. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. That was like one of the first things I had uh, written down when I read it, and I was you know kind of going off that because you know some neighborhoods have that some don't but like when you were growing up did you guys have any like urban legends like that that might have you know been something similar to benny rose maybe not quite as scary but like an urban legend or something um well we had the usual ones you know like the the you know lover's lane with the like the escaped you know killer from a asylum or whatever or like the pop rocks and soda kind of stuff but yeah. the one that was unique to my town was very different from benny rose it was there was a um there were there were we have a lot of woods where i'm from like just trees everywhere just like just forest that you can get lost in and stuff and um off a few roads and like uh, I have a relative who's really into like the real life ghost stories and stuff. So he, he kind of was the one who told us about this. But off this one road, um, you have to kind of walk through the woods. But there's like this one house that's left from there. There used to be a little village there. And um, it's supposed to be haunted. People go there. They'll, they'll try to record stuff and they, they won't get anything. But like other people like dare each other to sleep there. And they say if you go there, if you go there there and sleep there at night you can hear like babies crying in the woods and stuff so that always creeped me out <laughs> yeah that does uh, that does sound pretty uh pretty creepy yeah that gives me a little extra creep factor because while we were doing yeah. our sound check i kept hearing somebody's kid but both laurel and rick said i wasn't hearing their kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh dear just it's just the abyss again that happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like I sure don't have any kids, so. <laughs> yeah, but I, I was always kind of. I always like hearing that uh, sort of like local folklore stuff. Like the other day, you know, with uh, Shane and Laurel. Like I live, I live in between Syracuse and uh, Rochester, and uh, there's like this really haunted place in Syracuse I'm not even sure what it is because like the owner didn't want them saying you know the name of the location and dealing with all that stuff but they had like this ghost hunting group had posted this EVP and it's probably one of the scariest things I ever heard and I think it's like 10 minutes long oh god yeah that (laughs) yeah yeah so I always like hearing that kind of stuff, like, you know, that's local to, uh, you know, people's communities and stuff. And that one sounds pretty creepy. Yeah, Have you ever he, tempted um, to go out and uh, spend the night there? Or no, wanted to never. Stay <laughs> <laughs> that was not something. He, my, um, he, he asked my um, my mom and stepdad if they wanted to go. They, they, they did not. They were not interested either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I pretty much lack interest in that too. <laughs> well, because it's like okay, so if you stay there out, if you if you go and you stay the night and you don't hear anything, then it's like okay, well that was whatever. But if you go out there and you do hear something, I don't know if that's worse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's either a major disappointment or it's just absolutely utterly terrifying, and it will be for the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, I always used to want to stay in those, like, you know, like the really haunted hotels. Um, what is that? The Myrtle's Plantation down in Louisiana. I always wanted to stay at places like oh. that. My, my mom pointed out, she's like, yeah, what if what if there is something that follows you home? I'm like, you know what? That is a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to keep reading about it. That works for me. <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioned that. Uh... The I don't know if you ever like listen to the like music that starts this podcast, but um I we got permission to use the song from uh, the singer of the band, the singer and the bassist, and he actually lives in Louisiana, and I think him and his wife had gone there once because I saw it on Facebook, and he's I don't think he's a big supernatural believer, but he said uh he said spending the night there was like the most terrifying thing he's ever done. They left. <laughs> They left. They packed up their stuff and left in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> One of my friends stayed the night there, and it's. I still couldn't tell you based on her experiences. She stayed there with two girlfriends, and they stayed in like the little like um, carriage house, I guess. And she said the staff doesn't stay overnight, or they tell you that that they leave, you know, at dark or something. And and she said oh. that it, I don't know, like one in the morning there just started to be pounding on the doors and windows like all over the entire carriage house for, I don't know, like six or seven hours. It just never went up. And I'm like, you know, if they're doing that, that's a lot of commitment to the cause. I hope they're making more. (laughs) (laughs) Exhausting. Right. You stayed there for six hours while that shit was going on. (laughs) You know, but they, irritable enough to bust open the door at some point just like what (laughs) (laughs) you know at a certain point (laughs) um at a certain point it's kind of just like i don't know if i believe in that but i don't want to mess with it either that's how i am yeah yeah if it was the workers they could just uh they could just enjoy it like i've i've worked at like haunted attractions and it's a lot of fun, so it's possible. <laughs> so Rich would be in on it. He would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, if it was part of the job description, I don't think I would just do it on my own, but because <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd feel too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that one episode of Ghost Hunters where the they went and checked out this restaurant and totally debunked the story and embarrassed the fuck out of the guy on TV. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, too, um, Haley, the, um, the one book, I read The Possession of Natalie Glasgow first, um, based off of Laurel's recommendation. I picked it up, and I think I read it in, like, maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and I... I really loved, uh, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't read it, but I highly encourage people to check it out. But um, that was probably one of the most unique takes on like the whole possession story that I've ever heard. And I was just kind of curious, you know, what kind of inspired you to take that angle with it? Because it was very unique and I it was really cool. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of a way to, to answer it without spoiling it, too. Um I think it's a matter of worldview a little bit. Um, I see certain things that are involved in the ending to that book. Um, And 
people will treat it like it's a bad thing, but they won't look at it from a, a different point of view than their own. They'll look at it as like, I dislike that, but I don't, but they, I, I, having a hard time um yeah from the I, point of view of what goes on in there i wanted something that expressed that i wanted to i wanted to go at it from like this can be this deserves vengeance too sometimes um yeah not just on the not on behalf through us but because there are um emotions present and that I guess in the supernatural sense would not be restricted to, you know, how we see the world. If yeah, that, I, if I, that works, that's that probably sound like a bunch of, of nothing to people who haven't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I well, think it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I haven't read the book and that made sense to me. So, I mean, that's yeah, you really don't want to spoil it. I mean, that's the that's the thing. It's yeah. so hard to say anything without it. But it's it's because it's, it's such a short book. It's hard to talk about without without getting into spoilers a little bit. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was I I really enjoyed that one because Laurel, uh, like I said, Laurel suggested it, and then like the whole the whole opening scene, I mean, you do a great job of setting like the tone throughout, but like that opening scene when they like initially start like trying to figure out what's wrong with uh, Natalie. I love those parts. Cause I'm like, okay, you know, all the stuff that you would normally think of, you know, it's not that. So like, what the heck is going on? Thank and you. It, yeah. It drew me in right away. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was just like extremely, it was like almost like jumping into the most terrifying parts of the exorcist, like from the first page, you know, there's, there's no, you know, big long buildup. It's like, here's, you know, here is all of the tents and, and probably the exorcist is like a, a wrong comparison. It's just, you know, obviously a possession story too, but it's like, I just want right. to the tension, you know, I, I think it is the right um, comparison. And the reason I only, and I haven't read the book itself. I've only seen the movie, The Exorcist. Um, but the, to me, because that's become, it's, you know, possession and exorcism stories have become their own subgenre of horror. When I first tried to sit down to write it, like the first three times, I had a hard time figuring out where to start because I was trying to write it from the beginning and I was, realizing this is such well-tread ground kind of people are familiar with like you know it's a family setting whatever it happens to be and then something's going wrong with you know the the adolescent child um and you can see that in so many movies or books and i was like people know this stuff and that's why i don't feel like writing it because because let me get to the part where things go awry where where it's where I have something new to show. I think that was really effective. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause you're right. I hadn't thought about that, but that is, it, it is very well tread ground and it, it's also likely to be compared, you know, to, to the giants in that genre. So that's, you know, you shot right past that. So. <laughs> yeah. The best, the best way to not write a, worse book than those books is to write a completely different book like you do with your books 
Um, what I was going to ask, I was actually going to ask uh, Laurel and Rich, and that is, um, yeah. how would you say the possession of Natalie Glasgow compares to Benny Rose as far as the like um, cinematic aspects of the stories? Uh, I. You want to go first, Rich? No, I was actually going to ask if you wanted to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I didn't want to trip over. You know how I am. Fuck, I don't know. No, I do well, have one, but. Um, I think that it is. I think it's got a little bit of a broader um, range because it, it is longer. So you get a little bit more of um, a little bit more of character buildup to it which is really nice because um, I feel like character was important in the possession of Natalie Glasgow, but I think it's more so in Benny Rose because, you know, as you've kind of tweeted about some too, it's like, it's not just the story of Benny. It's very much the story of, um, you know, of the girls who are, who are going through this night and a lot of the really human things that they do, it just has a lot more. um, It's a lot more striking because we're able to see those kind of brushstroke, um, gl- glimpses into their lives. So we definitely get uh, we get more of I think just the overarching cinema effect of it. Yeah, that Benny Rose um, definitely those characters um, are everything to that story. So I agree with you, Laurel. Yeah, yeah, I Laurel. Yeah, she, I definitely agree with her. She made some really good points and. Uh, like the story of the girls and kind of like how they go through the journey. Like I, I thought they were total badasses, especially when they <laughs> finally uh, confront Benny Rose, but kind of to like Shane's thing. It also made me think of um, another like question I have, like it's almost like I could see some kind of style similarities between the two, but like, uh, the possession of Natalie Glasgow, it was kind of like a more straight ahead horror almost. Whereas Benny Rose had some very extremely like brutal splatter punk type elements. And I was just kind of curious, you know, do you gravitate towards one style more than the other? Do you kind of like them up, uh, you know, both? Well, I like to try different things. Um, and sometimes I'm not sure how that's going to be received because people might go into one thing, you know, expecting one thing. Like I, um, uh, there's a novelette that was released between the two novellas, uh, An Invitation to Darkness. And I wasn't sure how people would receive that because it's a gothic horror and it's written to try to sound like one, try to be like one. It's not my usual writing style. Um, as far as so I, I with actually I have a better answer to that. Um, <laughs> I I um, I I kind of approach them the same way, even if I'm doing different subgenres. I think um, as a matter of tone, um, how that how that is executed based on the is going to p- kind of be based on the characters. But the the thing is I. I didn't really go into the possession of Natalie Glasgow intending to tell. I mean, I did. It was an exorcist plot. It was a possession story, but I went into it with the approach of, of as if it was a ghost story. 
And I did the same with Benny Rose. It's it's a slasher. It has splatterpunk elements, but I, I approached it as if I'm telling a ghost story. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a I think that's a pretty cool approach. And um, like a lot of the writers we talk to, you know, they always say that they they like to explore different things and they don't, you know, put themselves in one box. But uh, I was just curious because it does the, the like the tone, like you said, it does match throughout. But it's always kind of cool to just see how that tone like carries through, you know, different types of stories. Because like there is some there is some pretty brutal stuff in uh, in uh, Benny Rose. I don't think I could have told that story right without getting into that brutal stuff. Because um, just because of the type of character he is, um, like he's he's. He's horrid. I, I mean, I, I, I love my characters, but like when I kind of figured out what he was going to be, you know, underneath all the stories and legends and things, I was just like, he's just, he's repulsive. Um, and it, it needed to, that needed to be fleshed out in the story. I couldn't, I couldn't shy away from it completely. Like there's, there's points where it's like, you know, something worse is happening than what's been described, but it needs to at least touch on that. Yeah. yeah, you kind of kind of took Jack Ketchum's approach there, and instead of just you know kind of letting it happen off screen, um, just look directly at it. Uh, but like you say, the, I think you would have been ripping your readers off if you hadn't written it that way because it was necessary to that character. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure some people might go into it, and it might it could be too much at at, at points. I didn't feel like any of it was at all gratuitous, though. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think that you're right. Like the, you know, the certain things that it's not that you shied away, but it's like I think it's instead of just constant full frontal gore all the time, like to be able to sort of look at it a little bit sideways, as you would do if you were one of these characters, you know, um, I thought that was big of it, too, was how much the the images of what they were seeing that night affected them, which I think is I think that's going to be realistic, you know, because these are kids and and that kind of stuff would horrify adults. So, yeah, I, um, I, I, the characters really, um, were easy for me to figure out. I, I felt like I knew them very quickly. So it was when I, when a scene happened, it was, I knew what was, um, what's the, I just lost the word. Um, their reactions were kind of, I, I knew what would be out of character for them and um, the the way that the night shapes them as it goes on. Um, and I keep saying easy. I don't know why it, it looks easy after uh, like, you know, months after I finished it. Um, it pro- I don't think I was feeling that way back when I was writing it. <laughs> I, I don't think that anybody who's ever written anything feels like that looks at that and thinks that it was easy. It's just, it's so much time, as time passes, it feels like so distant from the actual, like, act of writing it that I'm just looking at, it's like, oh, this is just a finished book. That was nice. And then, (laughs) but then get angry, then get angry while I'm working on my current work in progress and be like, why isn't this as easy as the last one? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
And I bet I bet in eight months when I've put that one away, I'll be doing the same thing. I was like, oh, that was easy. Why is this one, you know, why is this one killing me? <laughs> um, right, well, yeah, so we, to answer the question, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, just just um, the, the I understood. I, I felt like as I went along, I understood them well. So they're they're um, how much they were able to take it at different times. Um kind of it, it, it was it was inter influential it, it shaped they shaped each other I don't know if I better answered the question <laughs> no it did I think it did yeah okay yeah. um I, I was, oh go ahead Rich I mean Shane whoever, whoever <laughs> I I couldn't I couldn't tell there for a second whether you called me a dirty word or you said Rick. <laughs> uh, now, see, uh, I don't know. I, I think I must have been ready to tell Haley that I forget what the fuck I'm saying all the time. I just now forgot. Okay, I don't feel bad then. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is a constant thing. Somebody save, somebody save me now. Um, so the one, one thing I liked about this book and, uh, is kind of like the setup, like without spoiling, it really is kind of like this, this theme of kind of like resisting change and stuff like that. And, uh, the like interactions between, you know, the girls and some of the other residents of the town. And, um, I really liked the way that that kind of played out and, um, and to like, without spoiling it, just kind of how they dealt with Benny Rose and, you know, stuff like that. I thought it was, I just thought it was really well done. Like that ki- kind of how you took that whole, like, you know, resisting change and stuff and kind of played with that throughout the story. Thank you. Um, was, yeah, the, that, sorry. Sorry. Yes. Go ahead, Haley. Sorry. No, I, I was, I was, you were asking the question, so. um yes it it was um i went into it with once i understood glade street in the story i i felt that that was where i wanted to go with it because um i wrote an article uh before the book came out kind of getting into the theme a little bit also still trying not to spoil it but just that nostalgia is scary it, it it's really scary how it can just get under your skin and make you make you miss things that are bad or think that the good things from the past are better than the good things now. Um, and I think some people can just get completely obsessed with that and not want to let go. And you could take that to an extreme. That's an amazing point, really, because you don't really think about it, but it's perfectly human to sugarcoat the past and remember how good it was. It was, and, and, and that we're was a all, really excellent article. That's Shane. You should read that. The the one about nostalgia. That was really, really good. Where's that at? It's at uh, Ginger Nuts of Horror. It's the oh. article title is uh, "Crowning the Cannibal King." Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know how I missed that, or if I did. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of a moron that way. <laughs> no, it's just Twitter. So much stuff happens on Twitter each day. I'm just like, if I'm not tagged, there's no guarantee I'm going to see it. 
Yeah, that's me too. And a lot of times, even if I am tagged, because you get oh, yeah. sometimes, sometimes people will say, hey, name your five favorite. And if you make the mistake of doing that, you're going to have 1,200 notifications. <laughs> <by dinner> time. <laughs> yeah. Not that that happened today 12 times or anything. But. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to the, because I'm obsessive, what you were talking about, about your character responses, how they, you know, respond naturally to the situation the way they would, that particular character would actually respond and you knowing that going in. Um, and that's kind of, it was kind of interesting the different responses that these four girls had. I mean, there were dudes too, but to hell with them. These guys are more interesting. <laughs> um, but it's like the way one of them kind of didn't have the moral stamina to deal with it. Yeah. Um, mortal, mortal fortitude is what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, I think... I think sometimes the 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 more vulnerable you are, the the more you push uh, a front that you're not vulnerable, that you're just just indestructible and and stronger than everybody else and tougher than everybody else. And that was definitely that was definitely Sierra in in the book. Um, yeah, yeah, most definitely. And you couldn't see that coming, but after after it happens, and that may be a minor spoiler, but um, after it happens, that makes perfect sense. You know, yeah. I don't think like, I don't think it's a spoiler. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I, what we, I loved about that too, though, was um, the way that that you know her friends saw that part of her and loved her for it anyway. You know. That And it was like a great introduction of like, hey, you know, we're flawed, our friends are flawed, and especially, gosh, when we're adolescents, we're all flawed as hell, you know, oh, and, yeah. and to, to be able to see that about our friends and, and to see that love between all of them, you know, because, yeah, they, you know, they're kind of, they kind of start out being like the quote unquote mean girls to an extent, but there's, it's just not that simple. Right. And I think from outside of the situation, like if it was a movie I think it'd be harder, a little harder to see. I'm sure somebody doing that would would know how to portray it, but but the I was like with writing the first like the second chapter, I was like I'm gonna write them how they are, and I'm just gonna have to hope people don't hate them because <laughs> uh, because I think some people do. Like teenage girls are just generally shit on by society. It's like they can't do anything right. They all their music their music su- sucks. Their books suck. Like anything that they like sucks as far as society's concerned. And it's just like that's bullshit. It is bullshit. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really, really did dig about this. And this is a minor, minor spoil, but all the dudes wuss out and these girls are badass. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I liked about it, too. Um, you know, that they, that like like you said, the guys kind of, uh, they kind of wuss out, like you said. But, um, and like the way that the girls um, banded together, I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. But like how they, Laurel said, they started with that uh, mean girl mentality, sort of. But like as the night goes on. 
they learn more about each other. And I kind of liked that, like the way they learn more about each other and the way they kind of work together and, you know, banded together. Yeah, I am. Um, that and that's and that's the thing, like they and they did and they talk about this. It's just like this starts with with the plan of pulling a prank on somebody who really doesn't deserve it. But if that hadn't happened, things would have gone a lot worse for her. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, that's okay. I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> we have sorry. to have, we, we, we have to have at least one awkward <laughs> silence every show. I was, I was waiting for like Shane or Laurel to chime in. That's why I didn't we, like keep we going. Have never had an episode where we didn't have at least one long silence without explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I kind of gave one, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're really right, though, about um, and and it kind of like came across too. I think uh, Desiree has such a, a great line when she's, you know, kind of fighting back and she's like, oh, hey, you know, I'll, I'll sing something for you. What were the hits of 1812 or whatever? And it's just like, you know, it's, I, I love that because it's just like, yeah, you know what? Fuck you guys, too, because it's I mean, it is true. And and it probably wasn't I don't think it was as out in the open and recognized in the 80s to how much of a degree that happens. Like, you know, people always want to talk shit about teenage girls like taking selfies you know, and right. it's like, exactly. okay, so you, you want to admire them from afar. You want to judge what they wear. You want to, you know, you want to objectify them. But if they appreciate themselves, then that's a fucking issue, you know, exactly. and, and we, we got to exactly. shit talk them for it. And yeah, for them to, for, for that to be so like visible here and for them to just give like a collective gigantic middle finger to it was very... <laughs> You know, that was very much a hell yeah moment. So, <laughs> yeah, um, and they, one of the things you do really well, and I, I assume you have some sort of character arc in mind when you start. Was there? I'm sorry, did I cut off a question answer? No, no, no. Okay. No, I was about to try to awkwardly say something. Oh. <laughs> you should go ahead. <laughs> but um, I would, basically I was wondering if you if you do write a character arc for your characters when you're preparing to put a story down on paper or if you just evolve them because I mean they do evolve there's you know it's like the the one who starts out as the prankster ends up evolving into the strongest in the in the entire story you know and they all evolve in some way like that so um it's kind of a a little in between um like I I knew the plot and I knew points where the girls were gonna go, and um, but some things some things evolved along the way um, differently than you expect. Um, like I I knew where Desiree was going. I just didn't ex- I didn't expect her to go as hard as she did though. Um, like I I, I knew. I knew from the start and, and she's my, I, I shouldn't pick favorites, but she's my favorite. I, I love Desiree. And so whenever, 
whenever someone talks up Desiree, I just kind of get like butterflies and just like, oh, I love Desiree. <laughs> um, but like, it's just, she, she, they, I think all of them surprised me. I think all of them, as much as I, I knew their reactions to Benny, I knew who was going to have struggle more with him than the others, but I didn't. I don't think I anticipated how how much they would go in the directions they went by the end of the book. Like they, um, so it's just it was it, it ended up being uh, more extreme than I anticipated, but it was still kind of a, along the lines I expected. Um, I tend to when I tend to write, I kind of have like a, a zero draft before I do a, a proper draft. So there's little like patches of stuff. So. Sometimes those character arcs are filled in. Other times there's like, well, I hope they get there, but maybe they'll kind of go in a different direction by the time the story reaches that point. I'll have to figure the rest out. It's always that's so true with like, I don't know, you know, when people will talk about like, oh, you know, I getting your characters in line or something. I mean, it's not exactly like they totally have control, but you're right. I mean, you can have an idea for their arc and and they can surprise you because it's, you know, it's where they were supposed to go because Desiree's, all of her actions seem very true. You know, they, they seem very much in keeping, they seem very real. Yeah. I, and, and that's, that is definitely a thing where I'm just like, I know, I know if I've written a note or a paragraph where it's like the character veered off course, where I, where it was definitely like, that's not them. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't say that. Um, sometimes it's hard to figure out what they are going to do, but I definitely know when they've, when I've, when I've messed up, like when I have gone off course. That that's great to so, be able to, to be able to see that. I mean, that's, that's that's a good uh, talent to to catch that you know on your own to be able to well, to it's it's not as like it's not like i'll know immediately sometimes but like i'll walk away from being done writing for the day and i'll feel wrong like i'll just have like like no something's not right what's wrong i'm gonna obsess over this for the next 24 hours <laughs> and then just is... figure out oh if i just cut that line of dialogue everything's fine <laughs> <laughs> So think so simple. This is why we asked Laurel to join us because we real writers can ask real writer questions that we don't know how to ask. Yeah. <laughs> I think all I think all questions are are valid though. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But but it's interesting sometimes to listen because because um Laurel, it's like every now and then Laurel and our guests will get in a conversation about writing. And for me and Rich, it's just like we're sitting here in class yeah. and yeah. it's an education to us. Yeah, you. but you guys, you you down talk your own writing. So, you know, that's they don't they, do that. they will. Yeah, they they will attempt to trick you into believing that they are, you know, oh, <laughs> aw, aw, shucks. They don't know what they're doing. It's, yeah, it's all an act. It's all I'm, an act. <laughs> I'm a complete fucking bozo all the time. <laughs> Laurel, Laurel's just got my back. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like the, like, I don't know, it probably isn't the the same uh, situation, but I kind of liked how you said that you have, like, a zero draft with, like, snippets. I kind of like that name for it because that's kind of the way that 
I do things. Um, like uh, before I actually start writing it, it might just be like a paragraph here, or like a fragment or like, you know, somebody's name and like a couple characteristics before I try and like work it into something. So it was kind of cool to hear you say that because I know other people have done it, but, uh, you know, like I haven't had anything published or anything yet so it's cool to hear like people who have gone through the whole publication process like they kind of do that too i think i think the zero draft is probably one of the most underrated tools that a writer can have because when sometimes a writer will think like some some writers i think will look as like well when inspiration strikes i will sit down to write and it's like we're all busy and you can't always do that, but you can write a little note if some idea pops in your head or just a good line of dialogue or a couple sentences that'll sound right. And you can just write it down or jot it down on your phone or whatever, and then you can put it into that zero draft later wherever it may need to go. Or you may have a, like a little miscellaneous thing that's just like, okay, this will be somewhere in the story. I don't know where yet, but I'll figure it out later. But the good thing is to, that I have it. Yeah. Yeah, I, never I, I agree. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I agree with that. I think it is kind of like uh, underrated and kind of like overlooked, I guess, as part of the process. Yeah, I, I think I think it's more handy than I mean, and this is just for me, I wouldn't. But I, I just for me, it's more useful than just a straight outline, because an outline kind of just kind of says there is the, like this is the road. And it's like. That's not detailed enough for me, and it doesn't leave enough room for new things that are going to spring up while I'm while I'm thinking about this. Whereas the zero draft is kind of like you've got all this stuff to shuffle around, you've got all these like little bits of character, this little bits of plot, and they can inform on each other before you really get started on be like, okay, I guess I gotta do this thing. Yeah. That's yeah. I've never I've never thought of it as a zero draft, but that I I love that name. That's that makes you know yeah. a, a lot of sense, and it it does. You're right. I mean, in the you know the continuing battle between pantsing and uh, and outlining, that's a great middle ground too. Of whether whether you do one or the other, it's it's a way to help you know start getting your story organized and and sometimes those themes. I think like I you know. I don't know if you set out to do a theme of, of of anything in particular on it. I think it maybe just kind of crops up as you're looking at them and then like how it connects. But um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not great with symbolism myself. So if, if I come up with it, it's always accidental. So um, I think, I think it can be both ways. Yeah. And um um, I think I don't know where it cut off, but I, I was just saying sometimes with with the zero draft, um, you 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 can see like like three or four different kind of similarly thought out pieces that are like you know just dotted throughout the story and be like, hey, this is kind of saying something. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's why I'm in the same boat as Laurel. I do something very similar, but I never considered it a zero draft, and that's a good. That is a really good title for it. It uh, for me, though, it's kind of like what I do is I start. I imagine all these scenes that I want to see in the finished piece, and I sit there and write disconnected scenes, and then eventually start piecing them into what I'm doing. Yeah. 
And I mean, everyone has their own process and sometimes, you know, I, I'll have, I'll, I think, I think going into a story, you have to have parts that you want to tell. Like there has to be a, a piece of it. They're like, I want this to happen. And maybe it doesn't make it to the final draft or it transforms considerably by then. But, you know, that those are the things that were just like, I, I can't wait to get to this part. I want to do this part and I want other people to see this part. Yeah. Yep, goal markers. Right, right, yes. <laughs> and I think that's a great method too for um, you know one of my one of my friends was saying that he was working on something and he was like I just I can't get past where I'm at I'm you know I'm so frustrated and and I'm like well you know what what scene can you see in your head and he's like oh well the ending I'm like well go write that because it's you know I mean it's not like you can't change it later but it's I think it's sticking with whatever is going to give you momentum. Yes, and I think. I think, I mean, technically, if you do that, you've already got your rough draft of the ending for when you get there. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't fall in love with it too much. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I think that's what some people kind of like the trap they fall into is that they they're like, oh, I can't I, like I have to. But but now it doesn't work. And it's like, well, you're going to have to rewrite it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then they scream and. and um, right. Of course. We've all been there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. I have a 12-step program for rewriting. And it's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was interesting, like what you said, Laurel, about like sticking with the momentum. Because, like, I've when I first, you know, got back into doing this, like I would sit there and try and think that like I couldn't go forward until I figured a certain thing out, like names, for instance. Like I can usually come up with a character first name. But, like, every once in a while, like, it's not a hard and fast rule, but sometimes you use, like, the last names. And for some reason, like, all of my last names at first turn out, like, garbage. So rather than get stuck on that, I just put their first name, and then I'll put, like, insert last name here, and then just move on with the rest. I'll do that too sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, you know, for some reason, like, first names you know they you can sift through like hundreds but for some reason it's like okay let me try and think of a last name that's not too common but doesn't sound like completely ridiculous like i just mashed up a half of one last name with another half of a different last name (laughs) we need to get you a last name generator man (laughs) yeah right well there was those yeah, I, I saw an article uh, recently. Um, it was about some guy who, like, gave you tips on that. And, like, he gave you, like, all these resources. And, like, I'll probably use those. But, like, like for now, for, like, rough, rough drafts, like, as long as I have the first name, that's good enough. And then, like I said, I just put, like, an asterisk and, like, yeah, put last name here. And then just, <laughs> and then just keep going with the, like, actual, you know, meat of it. Well, Haley, I'd like to go back to something you said a minute ago. That's that's uh, part of this too. You know, you're you're talking about like the part that makes you excited to get to it. You know, you're you're right. That's what is going to excite the reader to get to. And so yeah. that's I feel like that's really useful. You know, again, advice for writers that especially like when you're learning how to edit your own stuff and determine what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I mean, pay attention to that feeling like what you know, what are you excited about getting to write as opposed to what you feel like you have to slog through? Yeah, but also also I I 
I mean, that that should definitely be the goalpost. I, I definitely think that's the right way to go, especially for keeping momentum. But sometimes you'll you'll surprise yourself um, with the stuff you hate writing and come back to him is like, oh, did I know what I was doing? Um, because, because the work you have to put it like, cause well, cause art through adversity is, is a thing. And yeah. I think sometimes the parts that we hate, right. And, and there's common advice goes like, well, if you hate writing it, they're going to hate reading it. That's not always true. Sometimes you just, sometimes it is a matter of putting in that hard work. Um, yeah, it's to get to those scenes you're really excited about, but sometimes, the the struggle of going through writing those parts can help too that's yeah that's a good point that's a good point everybody Uh, has to do their own method and stuff i I think i think that's also something that that everyone has to learn it's just like there is no one like writer's way of doing it that you can copy and paste to yourself and just like i'm going to do exactly like this person does it yeah yeah the only thing we all need to have in common is sit your ass in a chair and start writing Mm-hmm. And read. I think you have to. Oh read. yes. That's oh the my one God, thing yes. that I don't get. Absolutely. People say that they want to write and don't read. I'm like, then no. I'm just. That was just going. Are you gonna know? <laughs> Sorry, Laurel. I couldn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. I I've saw. I just saw that on Twitter today. As Did all, you? As all I was saying. <laughs> well, because yeah. it was it was somebody desperately desperately trying to convince people you need to read something that has been published in the last five years. Like, and, and they were really, they were lo- kept lowering the press. Like you need to read a couple, like just one, just read one book that was published in the last five years. And people just like, no, I don't want to pollute my writing style. And it's like, that's not, that's, <laughs> that, that's uh, like, that's like a plumber saying he doesn't have any fucking tools. I <laughs> <laughs> have a lot of faith in you, man. <laughs> Oh yeah, like it's funny people say that because like a lot of a lot of writers they do read a lot of stuff. So if like people who are like ah, it'll pollute my writing style, well then I guess I should just never write anything because that's pretty much all I do is read, you know, read books that of recent books and stuff like that. Well, I mean, I, this is rude of me, but it's like I'm sorry. I'm just gonna go ahead and jump to the conclusion that that is a pretentious twat waffle because you know to act so and I, there are some people who won't read while they're in the middle of of a of a working project or you know work in progress i get that you know if you feel like you have to concentrate and you don't want to get distracted but to just straight up be like no i shall never read that the world may experience my work in its purity it's like ew yeah okay <laughs> i'm not interested but no definitely no, I think that hits it right on the mark, too. And um, Laurel and I, obviously, neither one of us are afraid of offending anybody. But if you don't read at all, you're not smart enough to write any fucking thing. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if you if you um, I'm going to paraphrase him, even though I've been disagreeing with some things he's been saying lately. But Stephen King had said it's, you know, you it's putting fuel in your tank and you, you can't drive on an empty gas tank. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was exactly who I was thinking of when I s- said that uh, comment about the plumber and the tools too. <laughs> that's, in his, in his book on writing, that's exactly, exactly what he said, says you paraphrased him perfectly. <laughs> 
Well, I was kind of, uh, because we, we kind of love to talk, you know, process here as we have already kind of been doing with you, but I know, so what is your, I think you have a pretty strict writing schedule. Is that right? Yes. I, I mean, so, I try to. So how does that, well, what does your day look like for that? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I try to get up early enough on the weekday mornings that I can get in at least a couple hours of work, whether that's editing or just proofreading something or writing something new or, um, in the evening, if I've written down any notes, I'll put them into the computer and, uh, hopefully work on them or something like them the next day. On the weekends, it's a bit longer. I get up at like four or five in the morning and um, my wife sleeps until noon uh, if she can. So <laughs> I have like six or seven hours to, to work on stuff. That's, that's kind of great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, uh, that's, that's a lot of dedication, but I'm, I'm assuming that you have kind of determined over time that morning is your most productive time. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I, and I, I'll write in the evening sometimes, but it's usually just like if something is nagging at me so much that I can't relax until I take care of it. Usually if I mess something up and I'm like, oh my God, I know how to fix that part of the story or, you know, I just something like that, then I will jump on. But I, I do try to I try to keep it to the morning because I can trust myself better in the morning. I'm definitely a morning person. And um, it's not like it's 100% like I am sitting there staring at the screen. Like I think we all like wander to the fridge yeah. and that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and it, it also means I can't do it too much. Like if I've, if I get up at four, then I really need to stop after six hours. Even if that's like, well, I could go till noon. She's not going to wake up till noon. But I've done days where I've sat there and worked on stuff hardcore, like not getting up really, except to like go to the bathroom for like 10 hours straight. And yeah, it was productive, but I had a headache for the rest of the day. I was grouchy. It was just like, that's not healthy. So you have to take care of yourself too. Yeah. Which is why I don't get up before 1 p.m. on any day. <laughs> <laughs> That's my wife's <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> well, it's my. It's funny. My husband was on third shift for the longest time, and it was actually kind of you know people used to. This sounds terrible, but they would be like, "Oh, don't you miss them?" I'm like, "Uh, they get a lot of writing done." So it's every, I mean, every it was, once in a while for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> then he comes home and I'm good. But, you know, I mean, it was it was nice because he he didn't really have to go to work until ten at night. And then he would come home around the time I was like, you know, getting ready for work. So we got to actually see each other. But then it also meant I had, you know, clear time that I didn't have to feel bad about doing something like that, you know. Yeah. Also, I, I need utter silence. So I'm kind of horrible to live with. Like, <laughs> I'm writing. So stop chewing. OK, you're going to need to not eat. Thank you. I'm working. <laughs> I'm, yeah, that's what that's why I'm a night writer, because I, I write when everybody's sleeping. I think that's smart. <laughs> yeah, except for when I—that's because I bother Shane most of the most of the evenings usually on Discord. <laughs> uh, yeah, he annoys the fuck out of me most days. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling it's mutual, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> 
Well, so, so one of the things that I wanted to ask you, I'm sorry, Rich or Shane or whoever's talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I was about to say something like, save us, Laurel. <laughs> it's funny because right. Shane has a pretty distinctive voice, so I don't know. <laughs> I just assume whoever, and then I throw the name out, and then I realize I made a mistake. But <laughs> um, well, yeah, it was kind of one of, and I think you answered this some when you were talking about, you know, how you came at the possession of Natalie Glasgow. But one of the things that really, you know, struck me with that book and then everything else that I've read of yours, because, yeah, I, w- I also read, uh, you know, Invitation to Darkness and I've read a few of your short stories. And it's like uh, kind of what it's just your 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 story ideas are like they're they're I wouldn't call them surrealist. You know, I think they're very like straight straight on horror, you know, but they're so just different you know it's the kind I keep thinking of it in terms of like Haley thinks around corners you know it's like whatever (laughs) you start with it's just so completely different from what I've seen so I'm I was curious about your you know your process on that how your you know how your mind works on that kind of the the quintessential where do you get your ideas Haley but (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) um well thank you that's very kind um I I think how do I put this? Try not to be insulting to somebody who's very important to me. Um, I, I'm sure everyone can relate to this, that they have a relative who would they watch a movie with them has no idea what's going on. <laughs> yes. Um, so I kind of like growing up with that, that was kind of my mom. A lot of the time was, if she walked away and I, cause I, I was such a pretentious college student too. And like, I'd always want to watch like, mom, let's watch this really artsy movie. And I can't blame her for not knowing what was going on, but <laughs> I'd still want her to watch them and be like, didn't you feel something from that? And I kind of like took her not, not, it, it was nothing on her, but like her, her not understanding was like, Hmm, I guess you can't just throw somebody in the deep end. Um, you can't just get weird on them right from the start. You kind of got to start with something that's a little more familiar and then, then they'll follow you to the weird place. And that's kind of how I look at that stuff. Um, I love horror tropes. I love the the stuff that we're all used to. Um, some of it you can't really get away with as easily as, anymore. Like if you start with vampires, a lot of people kind of just like, oh, I'm tired of vampires. But um, other stuff people are ready for, and it's just like, okay, I can look at it, we can look at it this way, and then, surprise, we're, we're going around the corner to the weird place. Um, so I guess that's how I look at it. I do, I do like to start with something familiar and then kind of just go in my own direction with it. I love that, and I think if you don't have a tagline for your website already, you need it. Follow Haley Piper to the weird places. <laughs> maybe i will you've already i'm gonna write it down because you've already you've already come up with the perfect nickname for uh for natalie glasgow (laughs) (laughs) t-pong yeah i well it's just it's so convenient and it's it's fun to say and um (laughs) yeah it's it's actually unforgettable it's like once, once she said that it was it was there permanently and it, yeah. it forever stands for the possession of Natalie Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Yeah, and I th- I think that was an interesting way that you answered to the uh like the idea thing because I know like a lot of writers like they struggle like with that because like it's so clear to them a lot of times like you know how they come up with their ideas like trying to describe that is like super hard but I think that makes a lot of sense and once you kind of describe that like I could see how that came through in T-Pong and uh Benny Rose yeah, I am. Um, I, I get a little more experimental with some of the short stories just because you have less time. Um, but I just I think it's fun to kind of like with the longer work to start with something that people can grasp a bit easier and then just kind of like and then you can go off the rails and then you can do what you want to. Um, but because there's still I think I think most readers are still up for it. I think there's I think they're willing to. They just need to be they need they need to know that they can trust you a little bit. Right. They need you to guide them. Yeah. And not not like in an insulting way, but just in the sense that, you know, we only have so much time all the time. And if you just like if I just start with the weird part of it, then maybe it's just like, I don't know if I don't know if that's going to gel with me. I think if you seat things okay, if you like, if you give people the right information, the right order paced out, then I, I think they can accept most things. I do too, and that's that's one of the things I find interesting about your ability to just start a story actually in the story um, without a lot of preamble or you know exposition to build it up, and yet like. Well, I only have Benny Rose to compare, but um, it's a very, 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 for being a, a short novel, it's a very complex one. You know, the characters are, have complex personalities. The story has some pretty deep complexity to it, even though, it, like you say, oh, this looks like it was easy. But in reality, not to anyone who's ever written a story, it doesn't. <laughs> And, and and when I say I, again, I shouldn't have used that word because it kind of ignores that like months and months before the rewind or die call went out, I was struggling with how to do any of it. Um, really, things things clicked once the the call went out, and I was just like, I know how to do this now. Um, <laughs> but not until then, not after months had passed, not till after months had passed. That's awesome, though, when you have that revelatory moment where it's kind of like the proverbial light bulb coming on. Yeah, that is exactly what it was. So do you have uh, have any um, favorite tropes that you would like to play with? Oh, yes. Um, I did mention the vampires. I've right. written a few vampire short stories that haven't. Unfortunately, haven't gotten any traction. It's probably because I'm just playing with things that people have already done. I need to find. I, I need to. If people aren't. People don't want to use. People don't want vampires to lead them to the weird place anymore. They're 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 too used to them from other things. And I'm like, well, I can't start with another thing and then lead them to the vampires and then lead them to the other place. <laughs> um, so it's just because, yeah, so I'm just like, there's some, it's not, it's not like I like vampires most of the time either, but there are certain times like um, the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula movie um, from the 90, 
1992, I think. Like, I don't really enjoy sitting through that movie, but there's a lot of stuff I like about it. I like how the that he like they they do such a good job of him. Um, um, shoot, where, what is his name? Gary Oldman. Um, yes. being yeah. being both like attractive, but also like this, this hulking, bloody monster. It's not like they try to make the the sexy man also monstrous. Like he he shifts between, and I'm like that's so cool. Um, and I also like the idea of like the brides of Dracula kind of being more of a force of their own as opposed to just these per- periphery characters. Um, I'm sure people have done that before, but it's just like those are like little tropes that I enjoy. I enjoy seeing that stuff, even though even though like you know a lot of people are tired of it. I enjoy that too, and that movie's a perfect example, you know, especially with Coppola's ability to um, build atmosphere coupled with everything you mentioned there. Make that, like you say, it's hard to just sit through that one. But yeah, it's very long to me, at least. Yeah, yeah, but there are some really, really, really superb aspects to it too. Yeah. But I'm always interested in that subject, though, of, you know, do you have a trope that you'd like to do your own thing with? Because it's one of the things I love the most is seeing people do something like you did with Benny Rose or Hunter Shea did with Slash or, you know, a million more I could name. So it's like, OK, what tro- what trope are you going to write in next for me? <laughs> <laughs> well, um well, I, I know I, what I'm working on. I don't like to talk too much about what I'm working on, but I am, I'm trying to I, – I, I wrote an article last year about how I didn't really – I liked – I love reading Cosmic Horror. I don't really gel with it very well when I'm trying to write it, and I'm, I'm trying, though. I'm, I'm going to try to do my own take on that. So we'll see how that goes. That's exciting. Yeah, it is very much so. Yeah, I think it's exciting, too, because um, like uh, another author that we had on the podcast, uh, John F.D. Taff, like he kind of had the same thing where he wasn't really too into like the whole cosmic thing or like H.P. Lovecraft. But he kind of wanted to play with those themes, but like through his own kind of imagination. So it's kind of similar in that regard. And I feel like when people approach that specific subgenre from that kind of place, it, it leads to some really interesting stories. So I, I'd be pretty excited to read that. Well, I hope so. When, I hope, I hope it, I hope it reflects that once it's finished. I have faith. <laughs> I was going to ask who you um, you said you liked reading the cosmic horror. Are there any stories in particular that that really stick with you on that? Um, I just well, I just recommended to somebody earlier the the um, oh, crap on the name. The Last Feast of Harlequin by Thomas Ligotti is one of my favorites. Um, there's there's actually a. Uh, Kate, Caitlin Kiernan has some excellent stories. I can't remember the title of the one story, but it's like the second story in her collection, the the dinosaur tourist. Whatever the whatever that story is, the second story that is is incredible. Um, like I don't I don't. It's uh, uh oh, oh shoot, what's his name? Brian Hodge. Um, 
there's a story at the end of Best Horror of the Year, Volume 9, uh, These on these blackened shores of time. That one, I love that one. Wow, my TBR did not need more additions to it. But that be, <laughs> well, those are all short stories so that or, or novelettes within bigger yeah. works, so... Um, like they they shouldn't they shouldn't bog you down too much. <laughs> well, and they, yeah. I just was looking at the last piece of Harlequin on um, Goodreads real quick, and that is, man, that looks amazing. <laughs> oh my god, it's so it's so engrossing and but it's and so weird, but like there's there's a lot of layers to that too. Um, Kiernan, that was the Kiernan title, right? That was uh, Thomas Ligotti. Yeah. I can't oh, that's the Ligotti. Yeah, that's right. <gasps> What I was just gonna. Line? It's gonna bug me. You, you know what? You're better than me. You remembered two out of three, and I can't remember <laughs> one out of one most of the time. <laughs> Wait, I I think I got it right now. Give me one second. Uh, is that it? Far from any shore. Okay. Is that it? Yeah, it is. Okay, Far from Any Shore by Caitlin Kiernan. Cool. Cool. I don't have that collection, but I want to get it. Uh, she is an immensely talented writer. Yes. And that's it's kind of funny how little anymore I tend to hear about her in indie circles, you know, because she's just huge as far as her ability goes. Yeah, I I know that they, she just um, released a. a Best of Mythos, but Best of Her Mythos Stories uh, collection a few months ago, I think. Yeah, I'm so I'm so behind on her. I really need my TBR is so screwed. <laughs> oh, mine too. Mine is mine's terrible. I I haven't even been doing a very good job in Women in Horror Month. I've read like one book so far, and I've got like five or six still lined up. It's the just. <laughs> Go ahead, Lowell. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's like it's on the list of 473 things we have to do a day. I mean, you know, it's (laughs) well, too, I think uh, like we've said a lot of times, it speaks to just how how many great writers there are out there now. Like, absolutely. Every single day, I think I find like four or five books that like jump out at me and are like, read me now. And I add them to my (laughs) list like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's amazing and like for people who are fans of the genre you know it's it's a great time because especially with like the the rise of indie publishers and stuff there's so much great stuff out there like you're never at a loss for like oh okay what kind of what book am i gonna read next but it but you have to discover it too like i didn't i didn't yeah. know about the indie horror scene until like late 2018 and I was one of those people who would be like, I'd go into Barnes and Noble and I'd be like, okay, let's see if I can find anything. And either most of the time I wouldn't, it'd all just be like, okay, well, here's the Stephen King chunk and here's the Dean Koontz chunk. And maybe there's a couple by a couple other people, but that's about it. And it just, I'd walk out empty handed or disappointed. Or if I check out like the fantasy section, a lot of this stuff would just be like, you'd read the back cover and be like, I'm not like those other books. I'm a cool book. I'm for people who don't like to read. And I'm like, probably probably the inside of that book is fine. But the way that it was presented to me was just like, I don't want to read that. But but the online, the, 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 the indie horror community has so many 
top like reviewers who are being who are like you know will throw a book at your face and be like you got to read this and and yeah. we'll we'll sell it better than the the books in the in the bookstore are being sold and now it's just like i went from like having nothing to read to having so like a mountain of books to read i've got too much to read that was my experience too i didn't really discover the indie market until about 2015 and once i did all of a sudden i'm just getting crushed with books you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah that was that was my experience too like i was I I used to read a lot as a kid and then as kind of like through high school and like parts of college, I didn't really read as much. And I think the first book that I read that when I decided to start reading again was uh, Mallerman's Bird Box. And then after that, I was kind of like, hey, I wanted to do something new. So I had always uh, done like reviews, but mainly music. I was like, hey, I want to start a book review site. And that was kind of how I once I started the Twitter and everything else, that's kind of how I discovered it. And like you said, it's that I had the same thing. I would pretty much go off of what I found at like, you know, Barnes and Noble or Borders. But it was after I started that, um, you know, my old review site that I really s- discovered the indie community. And ever since then, yeah, it's just been like a ton of books that, I don't think I could ever read them all, to be honest. <laughs> um, no, I'm fully accepting of the fact that just in my Kindle alone, uh, there are more stories than I can read before I die. So, yeah. But it's it's a it's a good kind of obsession. Yes. And uh, kind of going off that, Haley, um, you know, what are what are some authors that you've been enjoying lately? You know, whether it be newer stuff or older stuff. Um, well, I just uh, let's see. I just read True Crime um, by Samantha and I'm going to mispronounce her name. Kolesnik. 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 OK. Uh, she you. corrected me on that, too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly that way. Um, and then before that, I uh, caught up on um, The Luminous Dead by Caitlin Starling. Oh, I love that book. I'm reading that yeah. right now, and I'm so in love. I can't even begin to tell you how I feel about that book. <laughs> She's actually uh, our guest next week. I don't think oh, we wow. announced that to anybody else yet. But Well, here's something, just because I like to hear my own voice. Um <laughs> I made in the past two months, I made three of the most important literary discoveries I've made. I'm, you know, like I discovered them, but like I personally <laughs> encountered them. Um, and they've and they're all women, you know, and it, that's starting to get more prevalent now in horror you know, especially in the indie market. You're starting to see more people trying to embrace diversity and but the discoveries, the discoveries I made um, were Laurel Hightower, Samantha Kolyesnik and Haley Piper. Um, I hadn't read any of those three women. All three of those women were a revelation to me. And if you guys haven't read them, unfuck that. Yay! <laughs> <gasps> Take a breath. 
No, but that's awesome. That's yeah. I and I th- I mean, you're you know you and I gush about this all the time with Rich too. But it's just like yeah, the just the the measure of talent out there, and especially like with Women in Horror Month, getting to see just the breadth of material that's out there has been, you know, it's it's yeah, just it, amazing. It's like like Damian Walters, Damian Angelica Walters told us. Um, there's still a long ways to go. It's not fixed by any means, but it's getting better. Yeah, I think I think um, I think perception is hopefully what'll be changing next because the the quality work is definitely there. The the breadth of of you know incredibly talented women writing horror right now is there, but there's still this perception by a lot of people that it's you know men are writing real horror women are writing i don't know what they would call it because i don't believe the same thing that they do um but but very clearly by people who haven't actually sat down and read any you know women written horror it's surprising too i mean i i've had people even my own family members openly admit they don't read women it's just weird to me why the hell are you doing that to yourself? You're screwing <laughs> yourself, you know. And, and when I was younger, that was all it was. Like I would go into funny, like it was it was kind of like the video store all over again, except in my own house. I would go into my mom's room and look at the books I wasn't supposed to read, and they would all be written by men. Um, and um, I didn't. You know, as a kid, I didn't I didn't know anybody. I didn't think anything of it. Um, and I'm sure if I said if I repeated that to her, she wouldn't she would probably wouldn't have said it's like, oh yeah, you're right. I didn't read any women. But most people don't even realize that that's true of them until somebody right. points it out. I was one of those people until I started reading indie horror. I had never really read a lot of women. You know, I mean, you have your Anne Rice's and things like that, but. And then um, I think it was the Sisters of Slaughter. I read something by them, and I loved it so incredibly much that all of a sudden I wanted to read nothing else but women. You know? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't understand the perception, though, because everybody knows women are smarter than men. So there's no way they're going to pen a lesser fucking creation. (laughs) You know? Well, and it's, I think it's something that people don't think about, though. I think you're right. It's like most people's initial, rea- you know, you see it a lot of times like, oh, I don't pay attention to gender or I don't pay attention to, you know, ethnicity or, or anything like that. And and that's like, I mean, OK, but you're not realizing that it's not out there commercially. So if you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it and you're not going to read it. Right. And I think some people don't realize that they are like on a subconscious level sliding towards a certain bias. Um, if, if, if you're not open to the idea that someone of a different background is going to possibly tell a different kind of story and that you might have to, you might, it might be good to experience something different, something that's not what you're used to. Um, you know, they, they may reject that. In, in, in at just first brush, and I think that's some. You know, I'm going to get myself in trouble, so I don't know if I want to say that. <laughs> but I mean, 
I, I, I get what, you know, I get the, the impetus behind that. And, and I agree. It's, um, you know, what, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, say it I, I but, well, that's know. the thing. Cause I, when I say something of opinionated, I like to choose my words carefully, but I, and I bitched about this on Twitter before, but just <laughs> like when I see that a horror anthology has 25 stories and there's either one or zero written by a woman, I, that I my my interest is already pre dead. Yeah, <laughs> most 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 men hate the word that I'm about to use, but I don't care if I piss people off. <laughs> um, there's there's a we have a and have had for decades a really bad systemic problem with with misogyny in our society, no matter where you live. Um, you know, so I think it, it just bleeds over into the publishing industry with, and without, they're not thinking, oh, we're not ever publishing any fucking women. They just don't. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, to the point where they, I don't know, Haley, if you came up against this at all and I didn't, it wasn't really exactly recommended to me, but I've, I've heard of a lot of female writings, you know, writers choosing like a, like to use their initials. So that it's not as clear initially that it, you know, that it's written by a woman. Um, I have, I have seen other women doing that. It was never something I considered though, because I wanted to be just open about that. I was just like, this is a woman writing it. Deal with it. Yeah. And, you know, kind of going off what you guys have all already said, like when I think about some of the novels and short stories that I have read, like in terms of like ones that were like the most innovative or that stuck with me the longest, pretty much all of them have uh, been by women authors like Damien Angelica Walters. Uh, a f- I, I'm probably going to mess part of it up, but I know it's like floating girls, a documentary or something similar to that. Like that was one of my favorite short stories of all time. And then you have other short story writers like uh, Betty Rocksteady. Her collection was amazing. Like I'd never read anything like it. And I always think that, like you said, it's some people, they kind of just slide towards their bias, but some of the most exciting stuff I've read, whether it be horror or crime has been by women authors. Yeah, and really anything, you know, it's like uh, Brian Kirk talked about stepping outside of your comfort zone. Um, and this is one of those instances I was telling you about, Haley, where I completely forgot where I was going with that. So <laughs> It always comes back to you, though. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> I just wanted to hear me again. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's. I think it's worth putting in the effort to to search that, you know, because it's. I mean, it's the same thing with seeking out like horror authors of color, you know, and and things like that. Absolutely. It's like you. It to me, it is you know, worthwhile to 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 seek that out specifically when it's not directly in my face because it's you know because it does matter and the reason it matters is because i want to hear those stories and laurel just laurel just finished my thought for me that i lost (laughs) (laughs) was that reading outside your comfort zone it was something that uh, actually gabino iglesias taught me he recommended a bunch of japanese and um latinx um 
books to me, and I started reading them, and it was some of the most amazing fiction I've ever read in my life. But that's the and that what the point being that's the great benefit of stepping outside your comfort zone and not being an idiot. Yeah, yeah, that and it 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 exposes you to a lot of different viewpoints at which in turn you know can lead to like some very uh some very creative stories like i'm trying to remember the exact name of the book i'm gonna butcher it but i think it was called the plotters um yeah the plotters and i think that was a that was a from i think he was from seoul south korea but like it was kind of like a crime noir and it was like kind of filtered, you know, through his culture and it led to something totally unique and like something I'd never, I'd never read before. And I think that's part of the benefit and people should really step outside their comfort zones is if you're a voracious reader, you know, looking at those different viewpoints and, you know, not just reading books by, you know, straight white dudes, you know, you can, find like a ton of new stories and why wouldn't you want something like that as a reader to you know to discover you know unique voices and all these different original ideas it's exactly how i feel about it Well, are you, and I think we tweeted about this a little bit. I don't know how much you're able to talk about what you've got coming up next. Um, I did, I did get a little bit of permission. Um, So the, at the, I'm not sure which month yet, but near the end of the year, I'll have the verses of age coming out, which will be my, my first novel, Um, you know, full length novel instead of a novella. It's a uh, dark fantasy slash epic horror uh, story. Excellent. Um, <laughs> um. At least I hope those are the right terms because I'm kind of it's 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 weird. I I didn't I didn't start with my I didn't start with my whole like I'll start with something familiar and lead people. I just kind of went for it. So hopefully that works too. <laughs> um, um, you can have my money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely excited. Like both of uh, your books that I've read so far, like I said, I think uh, T. I'm gonna butcher the acronym, but <laughs> the concession of uh, Natalie Glasgow, um, T. Pong. There you go. Um, I read that in like one sitting, and Benny Rose. You know, I read that in like a day or so. So I'm pretty excited to read your uh, upcoming novel. Thank you. Um... Let me see if I what what was I allowed to say? Um, well, it's um, the the log line is um, in the beginning men were prey, in the end they'll be prey again. Oh man, and, I fucking love that. And yeah. it's 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 um, shoot, I wish I'd written more down. Um, it's uh, it it. It's, I'm struggling with how to classify it because if you say dark fantasy, I think people get in their heads like elves and wizards, except they're jerks. I love that. Sorry. You're fine. <laughs> um, but the, so I don't want people thinking that because like 
this is this world in in verses of age is uh more like like they've got it's more like early 1900s they they've got movie theaters they've got cars but like it's crappy like they're everything's silent black and white like you have to crank up your car's engine uh like that kind of stuff so it's not like castles and and knights and things but um I've I've struggled with calling it epic horror because when I say that people think uh, like the stand and swan song and it is facing world ending stuff, but it's not our world. So I never know what's the right genre to, to, to lump it into. I like the umbrella term speculative fiction. Yeah, that that's always, that's always the best I think, but some people sometimes it's hard to sell with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to sell to someone someone who's experienced with the genre, but it's not so easy to sell to someone who has no clue. Yeah, and and you you know when when you when you start, it's kind of like my my wife has phrased it like verses of age is a uh, a stew pot of of horror, crime, and fantasy, because um, we we start with. Uh, this and we start with a police officer who's kind of like this area that this world is experiences like seasonal horrible floods and she uh is supposed to be just evacuating this place it's supposed to be very low stress kind of easy and she stumbles on a brutal murder scene and um it turns out it's not the only one so in the face of these problems that this this city and this 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 uh, place is already experiencing. They've all they've got a, a serial killer on the loose, um, and it's it's it gets into bigger things. Um, and there's there's like there's there's like human sacrifice and sea monsters and bloodthirsty gods and. Um, I'm already selling this thing for you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this isn't a spoiler because it's on the back. It's going to be on the back text of the of the book. But she is um, trying to deal with well, dealing with her relationship with her girlfriend, who is the the murderer and their oh, protagonist. Wow. <laughs> I've been trying not so. to interrupt you with a hell yeah every two seconds. So. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Right, that's I should awesome. probably that's stop awesome. talking about it before I say too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm glad you were able to tell us that much. That's very exciting. We'll be on the lookout for uh, or when you get a when you're able to announce a publication date on that. That's exciting. Yeah, I, I hope to. F- sorry, I keep hitting Mike. I uh, I hope to find out. Um, well, sometime. I hope to find out probably by spring, but it could be later. I I don't I don't want to speak for the publisher and get in trouble. <laughs> Oh, probably by spring, but could be later on the release date or the announcement. Yeah, I don't. I mean, well, oh, oh, the release date announcement by spring. Hopefully, the it definitely won't be till quarter the fourth quarter this this year. The uh-huh. the for for actual release. Right. Um, that's amazing news, though. That it's that that potentially close. Yeah. Because I'm sure I'm speaking for all of us when I say all three of us want to read that book. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, 
it's a big it's a big book. Um, you could fit Benny Rose and Natalie Glasgow in there. Let's see, it's forty four thousand. You fit each of them in there twice, and you still have enough room for another Natalie Glasgow, I think. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's that sounds awesome. When you gave the description you gave, and you were, uh, you were saying, you know, it might not be too much. I was sold like within the first couple seconds of you describing it. So. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um. Well, I'm about 10 minutes away from turning back into a pumpkin. <laughs> so, do you guys uh, have anything else that you'd like to talk about before we um, let you get back to your life, Haley? Laurel or Rich, you too. <laughs> no, uh, other other than just saying, you know, uh, thanks for joining us, Haley. It was, it was really great getting to talk to you about uh, your books, and we had a great time. Thank you for having me. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for coming on, and and we're we're really excited to. I'm personally really excited to fangirl all over your upcoming publications as they come out. (laughs) And and you're already invited to come back and talk to us about it when you're ready to talk about your next work. Oh, that's awesome! Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Haley. Have a great night. Have a good night. You too. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.